Last Sunday, as we continue to move through Advent, we launched a short series through the book of Isaiah. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, that 700 years before Jesus was born, people that were living, as it says, in deep darkness, God promised to them through the prophet Isaiah that there would be a light that would come that would eventually overwhelm the darkness, a light that would pierce the darkness, that would bring hope and joy to a people that were living in despair. This week, we continue uh, looking through the book of Isaiah, and particularly chapter uh, 11. And it's in Isaiah 11 that we find out that this light that is coming, this light that is coming in the midst of darkness, this light will be a king, a king that will reign and rule on behalf of the kingdom of God. To set it into context, the people of God in Isaiah's day had lost the great king. Israel, once a great superpower throughout the world, one of the greatest militaries the world had ever seen at that time, had been ravaged and destroyed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. There was a civil war dividing the kingdom in two, So they were without leadership, without direction, without hope and joy. And just as they needed to know that there was light coming in the midst of the darkness, they needed to know that there was a king, far greater than any other king they had seen. As great as David was, there was a greater king coming that would come into the world, the brokenness and the mess of this world, to make things right again. And this morning... I want us to capture that sense of anticipation that as the people of God awaited a king that would come, we long for this king as well. That deep down inside of each one of us, there is a longing for a king, a king unlike any other. Isaiah chapter 11, the longing for the righteous reign of the branch. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And on this third Sunday of Advent, the grass withers and the flower fades. 
But the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. We all live with an inner ache. Whether we realize it or not, deep inside, deep down inside of each one of us, there is an inner ache, an inner restlessness. For some of us, we can't even identify why. We can't identify the reason for this ache, the, the reason for this longing, but we know it's there. And I cannot think of a time in the, throughout the year where this inner ache is more prevalent than at Christmas time. It's why we eat too much and drink too much and spend too much and wear ourselves out way too much because deep down inside we go, maybe there's something at Christmas time that can satisfy the deep longings of my soul. Maybe there's something at Christmas in the midst of lights and presents and parties that will cure that inner ache. But there's a reason. They call January the January blues. Because when the presents are tucked away and the trees put away and the decorations come down, many of us are left wondering, isn't there more to Christmas than this? Isn't there more to life than this? And the reality this morning is I want you to understand that there is nothing in the trimmings and trappings of Christmas that will solve that inner ache. There is nothing in the trimmings and trappings of Christmas that will solve and settle that inner restlessness. But there is someone at Christmas that can. He is the Christ child that came into the world, born as a king that trumps all other kings, a king unlike any other, that when you discover who this king is that was born 2,000 years ago, you realize that you were created for this king. You realize that your soul longs for this king. And until you encounter this king in a saving way, that inner ache and that inner restlessness will always be there. Who is this one who is born? Christ the King. The first thing we learn about this King that is promised to the people of God is we learn about the nature of this King. There is a particular identity of this King, a particular nature that makes this King greater than all other kings. Remember the history of Isaiah. The Assyrians and the Babylonians had come in. They have divided this nation. They have wreaked havoc upon the nation of Israel. And the analogy we see in Isaiah 11 is like a forest. The kingdom of God was like a forest full of trees. And now Isaiah says it's a stump. The kingdom of God, rich with wealth and rich with, with life and power, has been reduced to a dead stump. It is the analogy that Isaiah is given to describe what is happening in the nation of Israel at the time. The kingdom of God, you look far and wide and there is nothing but deadness. There is nothing but destruction. But in verse one it says, out of something that is dead, out of, out of destruction, out of a stump, it says in verse one, will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. 
Out of deadness and destruction will come a green shoot, will come a shoot of life, which will be from the stump of Jesse. You see, this is the fulfillment of what was promised way back in Genesis chapter 3. On the day where death and sin entered the world at the fall, God leaves his people with this promise that in the midst of death and destruction, a woman will bear a seed and that seed will crush the head of the serpent. A seed will come forth that will crush the head of the one that has brought sin and death and darkness into this world. And so Isaiah 11 is the God who made that promise will fulfill his promise. And you might be here this morning and you might relate to this. You look at your life, you look at your family, you look at your marriage, you look at your children, you look at where you have been placed in life right now and what has happened to you right now. And you might relate to this sense of deadness. You might look at your life and say, yes, it is like a stump. What good come out could come out of my life? There's no sense of newness. There's no sense of life. And the promise for the children of God is that no matter how bad it seems, no matter how widespread the deadness and destruction look and appear, that God is the God of promise, that he brings new life out of death. He brings shoots out of stumps. But this is what's significant about this one that will come. And this is why the one that is promised in Isaiah 11 is unlike any other king this world has ever seen. Not only is this king a shoot that will come out of the dead stump, but look at the end of verse 1. He's also the root. Why is that significant? He's the shoot and the root. Now, I can understand the shoot that this one, Jesus Christ, will come out of the line of Jesse, but it also says it's the root. This is what Isaiah is telling us, that Jesus that will come as the king will not only come out of the line of Jesse, but he's also responsible for the line of Jesse. What? He's the one that comes after Jesse, but he's also the one that came before Jesse. There's only one explanation for how this king can be both the shoot and the root, only if this king was divine. Announced to the people of God 700 years before Jesus is born is that there will be one that will come that is, yes, fully man, but also fully God. This king will be divine, and this is the reason why this king is unlike any other king. He is a divine king, the only one that will be able to do the impossible, bringing life out of death will require this king to come from heaven. This is the promise of Christmas, that he is the shoot and the root, and this is the story of what God does over and over again. At creation, he brings life out of the darkness. He brings something out of nothing at creation. Out of the stump, he brings life. Out of the grave, he brings the resurrected Jesus Christ. And out of the deadness of your life and of your heart, listen to me. God can work a miracle and bring about new creation because of what Christ has done. The good news of Christmas is God loves to work with dead things and bring about the newness of life. 
And that can be the joy and the good news for us at Christmas, a king unlike any other. But not only do we see the nature and the identity of this king, that he is the divine king in chapter 11, but we see the qualities of this king. You see, as the people of God were longing for a king to come, we're told that this king in verse 2 will have the spirit of the Lord rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding. You see, what that is telling us is that this king that comes will not operate according to the wisdom of this world, but will operate according to the wisdom of God. And we can certainly see that in the life of Jesus Christ. There is nothing about Jesus's life and ministry that makes sense. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Take all of your possessions and give them away. In order to find yourself, you must first lose yourself. Everything about Jesus' life from being born of a virgin to being born into an obscure village to work your entire life only to be crucified on the cross naked, there is nothing about Jesus' life that makes sense. And the reason is this, because he has been given a wisdom from above. The scriptures tell us that the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world. But I want to ask you this morning, as followers of this king, can you honestly say in your life that your life reflects more the wisdom of God and less the wisdom of this world? If you were to honestly look at your life from the way you raise your children to your marriage, to your finances, to your career, to your pursuits in this life, does it emulate and reflect the wisdom of God? This king who comes into this world is unlike any other king because he does not operate according to the wisdom and the patterns of this world. And the people of God that follow after this king, the king's people, operate according to an otherworldly wisdom. And I want to be very straightforward with you this morning. If you are here today and you have rejected Christianity because it doesn't make sense, or you have rejected Christianity because you cannot wrap your mind around the things of God and the things you learn about the scriptures and the things you learn about Christianity, listen to me. It is not your job to be able to wrap your mind around all of these truths because God is infinitely bigger and infinitely wiser than your small, feeble mind. And it might actually require you to step out in faith and say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. I surrender, I submit, because until you surrender your wisdom to the wisdom of God, there will always be the restlessness and always be the inner ache inside. The teacup doesn't say to the ocean, you don't exist because I can't hold you. His ways, greater than our ways, his ways, higher than ours. It is a wisdom that is above the sun that we surrender our wisdom, our earthly feeble wisdom to the wisdom of this great king. So we see the nature of this king 
He is divine. We see the qualities of this king, that the wisdom of the Lord is upon him. And lastly, we see the purpose of this king. Why did this king come into this world? In verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, we see the purpose of this king. And we see that it is the restoration of all things. It is the reversal of the curse. And Isaiah is prone to use language that is hyperbole in order to get it across to us how drastic the reversal will be. He talks in verse 6 about wolves lying down with lambs and leopards lying down with young goats. These things don't happen here. And even a child playing with a cobra and sticking his hands into the den You see, what Isaiah is describing for us is that this king comes into this world to reverse the curse, to renew and restore this world, to make it right again. What Isaiah is describing is our future, the future of the people of God that are connected to the king, the end of violence, the end of suffering, the end of death, and uses this embellished language to get our attention, to capture our hearts, to say, why are you placing your faith and trust in smaller things? Why are you placing your faith and trust in the things of the kingdom of this world? There is a king that has come outside of this world that answers the deep longings of your soul, that makes this world right again, that reverses the curse to do for you what you could never do for yourself, to restore all things, the radical nature of the transformation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if we belong to the King, this is why we go out as the King's people and spread this message of hope and renewal and restoration. So as I said last week, wherever we see signs of the curse in this world, We bring the message of hope and healing. We bring the message of the king that he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is the mission and the vision of the church and of the people of God. And my only question this morning is, do you know this king? Not do you know the things about this king. Not do you know the story of Christmas and the facts and the figures. Not do you know this king intellectually. Do you know this king as the one who has come into this world to satisfy and settle your restless soul? Have you met him? Have you encountered him and experienced him in a life-changing, life-transforming way? Listen, you will always be restless until you find your rest in him. Deep down in your soul, you are longing for this king. The problem is since the garden, you have been looking and searching for what only the king of kings and lord of lords can provide. And I'm here this morning to announce that salvation and rescue and the settling of your soul can only be found in the one that was born as a king 2,000 years ago. I don't know why you're here this morning or watching online, but it might just be an indicator that you're searching for something that this world cannot provide. I heard this story a few years back. It's a story of a 
woman who grew up in the church and rejected the church. She rejected Christianity. She rejected all of the the stories of the Bible. She rejected the whole concept of Christianity and the Christian subculture that came with it. But she was a new resident to a city in central Florida, and it was Christmas time, so she thought, even though I've rejected all of this, this is just something you do at Christmas time. And she wandered into church for the first time in about 30 years, and she scheduled an appointment with the pastor. Now, this pastor had done nothing wrong to her. This pastor didn't even know her. But she said, I needed a pastor to just unload on. I was going to let this pastor have it. I was going to talk to him about the hypocrisy of Christians. I was going to talk about how the church had wronged me. I was going to talk about the hypocrisy of Christianity and all of the wrongs and all of the abuse I had suffered at the hands of pastors that had failed me, churches that had let me down. She walks into that office and she lets him have it for 30 minutes. Pastor doesn't open his mouth. She says, I was quite amazed that he just sat there. And didn't judge me. And in closing, she said, Pastor, I need to tell you one thing. In light of everything I've told you, I need to make a confession. Even though I've rejected Christianity, every night I go to bed, I turn off the lights, and I whisper, Good night, Jesus. Because deep down in my soul, I want him to be real. And so do you. Whether you realize it or not, deep, deep down inside of each one of us is a longing for all of this to be true. Everything we sing about and read about at Christmas is true. What seems too good to be true is made true in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And inside of you is that inner ache, that inner restlessness that can be cured and settled today through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All the trimmings and trappings in the world at Christmas can never settle our soul, but there is one that can if you embrace him today.